everyone. We're so glad you've joined us today. I'm Cindy. And I'm Mindy. If you're watching online, we are thankful you have joined us as well. Here are a few upcoming events you might be interested in. It's time to update the church directory. If your information has changed, please stop by the Welcome Center to update your information or to submit new information. You can also submit changes by logging onto the directory, clicking on Menu, and Edit My Family. Everyone has a story, every story a purpose. You are invited to join us tonight at 6 p.m. to hear stories worth telling. There will be no service on Wednesday, November 25th, or a p.m. service on November 29th to allow families time to enjoy Thanksgiving together. Invite family and friends to join us for a special night of worship on Sunday, December 6th at 6 p.m. That's it for this week. Follow us on social media and the church app. Visit our website for updates on current or future events. Now enjoy this time in worship and the word. Would you stand with us tonight? I saw Satan fall like lightning I saw darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Oh yes I do but the miracle that I just can't get over Is my name is registered in heaven And my praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony. This is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son, and Father. Our God will finish what he started Our God will finish what he started This is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony this is my testimony Whoa. Oh, let's declare it tonight If I'm not dead, then you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe If I'm not dead, then you're not done Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe. 
scripture and I want to tell you over the years my favorite scripture has changed many times as I've grown older many of my prayer friends have gone on to be with Jesus my family my friends so this is my scripture for today and it's in Colossians and when pastor was preaching this morning I thought oh he's going to read my scripture but he didn't so here we go, First Colossians 3, and it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the part I love, praying always for you. And know, we know that the scripture is talking about Paul. He's the evangelist. He's the preacher. He's the teacher. He's the mentor. He could be our pastor and our pastor's wife, that they're praying for us. And that makes my heart smile to know they're praying for me. But I want them to know I'm praying for you also. I'm praying for each one of you too. Now, I don't know how Paul was praying for that church. I don't know if he called each one by name or if he wrote their names down, or if he laid his hands on a piece of paper and kind of covered them all in one time. I don't know. Scripture doesn't really say. But it gives me comfort to know that somebody's praying for me. And it gives me joy in my soul. So, anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, as we Rejoice in telling our story tonight. Lord, we pray, Father God, that we can just come alongside of you, Father. Lord, that we can hear your voice in each one of these testimonies. And Lord, that we can rejoice and be glad in it, O oh God. And Lord, that we can walk faithfully and upright before you, Father God. We're asking for the anointing 
of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, come, come. Come into this place, O oh God. Move amongst us and walk with us, O oh Lord. Lord, in the cool of the evening, you walked with Adam. And this is the cool evening, Father. We're asking that you walk amongst us tonight. We're asking for that anointing that breaks all chains. We're asking, Father God, Lord, that you open our ears to the testimonies of God and your goodness. Lord, open our hearts that we would just love one another once again. That we would reverence what you're doing amongst us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Uh, for those that don't know, my name's John Gerald. I'm the worship pastor here at the Palace of Praise Church, and uh, I uh, am so much more nervous doing this than I've ever been probably leading worship, so please bear with me, and uh, we'll get through it. I haven't got through it yet, so um, I'll try to make it quick. I, I, uh, when you start thinking about all the good things that God has done, it, it sometimes can run over five minutes, so I'm going to try to do that, though. Um, let me tell you just a little bit about myself. A lot of you may not know, but uh, I was uh, I was born in Dudley, Missouri. Um, yep, <laughs> holding it down for Dudley. And uh, we were we were very poor. I, I didn't know it at the time, but we were really poor. And uh, I uh, I never I never uh, really saw that until I until I saw other people when I started growing up and saw all the things that they. Uh, were experiencing that we didn't, and uh, and I also was born, uh, I guess, a little bit different. I had a, a condition called club feet, um, so my feet were uh, like this and backwards. Okay, so um, not just your normal club, but they were also backwards. And um, born that way, and they uh, immediately they went into and they put casts on my feet. They they didn't break anything. They just kind of bent them back and put casts on them up to my hips, and uh, Pastor Miller will remember this, and I think I was dedicated in the church with casts on. Um, I wore casts and, 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 uh, and braces. Have you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump? That's what I was like you know, with, the, with the, the braces up to my hips, and, uh, and it, was, uh, it was something that they told me I wouldn't, I wouldn't really ever walk correctly. I'd never, I would never uh, run or play sports or anything like that, they said the pain would just be too much. And, uh, but as you can see, that was not the story that, that happened. I, I, can, I can stand, I can walk, I did play sports. I did uh, all the things that they said I couldn't do because I had a mom and dad that prayed. I had a, I had a church that prayed for me and that, that lifted me up and they didn't believe that report at all. And so I'm here today standing, I wrestled, I played baseball, I, uh, I did all the things that no one thought I was going to do because my mom and dad prayed. So that was one miracle very early. Um, another miracle that I came through is that I know that you guys hear a lot about bullying at school and things like that. 
Well, I was six foot three, 103 pounds. And you can imagine the kind of uh, uh, predicament that puts you in. But uh, I was a freshman in high school, six foot three, 103 pounds. And I wrestled at 103 pounds. And uh, there's some embarrassing events that happened, uh, you know, going through mainly middle school. Um, my kids know this already because I already told them about it. But um, for no reason whatsoever, I'm standing there and a whole basketball team comes, grabs me, throws me in the lunch dumpster right after lunch. And uh, as all of you know, that's, there's spoiled milk and all kinds of stuff in there. And it was just, you know, it was a terrible experience. And one of those, whenever you're that age, it can really mess with you, you know, that an entire basketball team, you know, came and did this, you know, and I thought, well, my goodness, what, what am I? What am I'm, I'm, why would they pick me out of everybody that goes to this school to do that? Maybe it's because I was six foot three, 103 pounds, but it was, uh, you know, a lot of those incidents that happened through school, and it was just really weighing on me and really bothered me, and, uh, and it, shaped, it shaped my whole life, really. I always thought from then on that I wasn't, I wasn't good enough or I, I, I wasn't talented. I didn't do any of, the th any of these things that I can do now. And, uh, but this, there was something that changed when I was 12 years old. Okay, so all these events were happening. I was getting bullied in school and, and, uh, and something make, amazing happened when I was 12 years old. I've been to church my whole life. And I had, uh, I had always, you know, been, I've always grew up in church. But when I was 12 years old on a Wednesday night, God called me. I felt this tugging in my heart. And even though I wasn't very smart, I didn't make very good grades. And I wasn't talented. I didn't play any instruments or anything like that. I knew at that moment that God wanted to use me. And that, e that evening I was chosen by God for God. In 1 Samuel 16, it says, Where God directs Samuel regarding David, Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Then Samuel took the horn. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed it on him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You see, God provided for himself a king among Jesse's sons. God anointed David before David did anything worthy of any note. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, and then, and then and only then did he later kill Goliath. He led military campaigns. He wrote Psalms and the plan for building of the temple. He also provided the lineage through which Jesus would be born. All these things happened when David was out in the field. He didn't know any of this was coming, but God chose him. It wasn't anything David did. It was what God did, and God chose him. And on that day, that when I was 12 years old, I received the anointing of God. I had done nothing for God, but God chose me. 
I then started playing drums shortly after when I was 12 years old. I loved them, and that's what started my love of music. I couldn't stop tapping on things. I couldn't stop beating on things. I was in the car. My dad would yell at me for pecking on the back of the seat, just like I do Titus now. <laughs> and on the bus, in the church, didn't matter. I had, always had this rhythm going on in my head, and from that day forward... Shortly after, I got a guitar for Christmas, and it was out here, but I guess somebody cleaned up. <laughs> so I got a guitar for Christmas, and I brought it tonight. I was going to play it, but it didn't, it didn't work out. Uh, it's, it's quite old because I'm 40 years old now. And uh, I got that when I was uh, for Christmas, and it was all my mom and dad could do to get it for me. I remember that. And then after that, I started playing piano, and then I started singing. And God put a song in my heart. And God was always with me, even through the dumb David moments, too. I mean, David had some dumb moments, and surely I have as well. And I'm not going to bore you with all those details because I, they are showing me I have 30 seconds left. I'm afraid I'm going to go over. Um, but those moments I'm not proud of, and I'm, like I said, I'm not going to bore you with those even though God was faithful for them too. But I will tell you about one time. I never thought I would get married. I was 27 years old when I finally got married. And I always prayed for a wife. I always prayed for, uh, for a family. It was something that, you know, my family was always so important to me and it's something I always wanted. And uh, I rushed God's plan. And ultimately it ended in a divorce for me. I was, I was crushed, I lost faith, and I blamed God. I was so angry with him. I had prayed for things to work out. I had forgiven whenever things were unforgivable. And I couldn't fix it. I lost two sons in that divorce because... They were my stepsons. And I gained a daughter. I started coming to the palace about six months before I got divorced. And every service you could find me at the altar. Every service. And most of those times, I was at the altar. I was giving God my thoughts on how he had forsaken me and that his calling that he put on my life was dead and along with that, my marriage. But you see, God makes all things new. He makes broken things whole. He makes a covenant and he keeps his promises. He was working things out for my good he was preparing me to take on a mantle that was greater than I ever could have known. When I thought I was at my lowest, he put a song again in my heart and he set my course on a new direction. I was asked to fill in one Sunday as a worship leader. In that time, I had no idea that eight years later I'd still be filling in for that job. 
but God had a divine appointment for me. And he knew I needed a partner. Somebody, and he provided somebody that couldn't have been more perfect for me. Someone who needed me just as much as I needed them. God chose me and God chose Miranda. God chose the time and the place. I have a son again, an amazing son. I have a daughter, an amazing daughter. And my family has been completely restored. I'm so thankful that he never left me. He never gave up on me, even whenever I gave up on him. And I'm so thankful, most of all, that he chose me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a song now that, uh, that's very special to me. I know, I've already, I already know I'm not going to make it through it. So just bear with me while I try. But This is the first song I ever sang in church. It's the first time I ever, and like I said, I brought my other guitar to, because I played it on that guitar, and I was going to play it on that guitar tonight. But this song is very important to me because it was, uh, it's, it's called Born Again. And as a Christian, that is, uh, that's when things change, and that's when God chose me. And uh, it's just a very special song to me, and it's the, like I said, it's what started my worship, and it's what, uh, what I'm going to sing to you tonight. You may think it's foolish what I'm going to say. I'm not ashamed No, not ashamed And one day I pray Jesus take my sins away And that is when I was born again Born again has really been a change in me born again just like Jesus said born again and all because of Calvary I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. One man came to Jesus, John in chapter 3. 
and so afraid he was so afraid master son of god i really do believe and jesus said just be born again well born again there's really been a change in me born again just like Jesus said born again and all because of Calvary I'm glad so glad that I've been born again born again there's really been a change in me born again just like Jesus said born again and all because of Calvary I'm glad so glad that I've been born Yes, born again and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. If you don't know me, my name is Craig Reynolds. I'm a lifelong member of the Palace of Praise. And I want to share with you my testimony of how the Lord took what the enemy meant for evil and turned it to good. I can't say that I grew up in a terrible home or had terrible parents because if I did, I would be lying. I had an extremely hardworking, humble, and caring father who taught me a lot. I had a God-fearing mother who always made sure my brothers and I were in church and that we had a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. At 13 years old, I was introduced to marijuana for the first time, and at 14, I got drunk for the first time. This was the beginning of a life of anger, arrogance, lust, violence, and being bound by many strongholds of the enemy. I smoked marijuana on almost a daily basis and drank alcohol weekly all throughout high school. After high school, I decided to pursue a childhood dream of mine to join the United States Marine Corps, and I spent four years of my life in the military. Things went well for a while, I didn't drink, and due to the strict drug policy of the military, I had no problem with marijuana anymore. After some time in, I was faced with the opportunity to drink alcohol again, and I did. By the time I was 20 years old, I was drinking every day, and I continued to drink every day until my 23rd birthday. On my 23rd birthday, which was April 24th, 2018, me and an old friend from high school were hanging out and drinking. 
I decided that night to put him and myself in danger by getting behind the wheel of my truck and driving, and we were involved in a horrible accident. It is only by the grace of God that we're both here today and that we weren't seriously injured that night. The most humbling and also scariest thing I've ever heard was when the first responders who were called to the crash that night said to me that whenever they saw the truck at the scene of the crash, that they thought whoever was in the truck was dead. This really opened my eyes and made me reflect on my life, and I haven't had a drink of alcohol since April 24th, 2018. Even after this, the devil was attacking me very hard. Because of shame, pride, and anxiety, I didn't enter the doors of this church for quite some time. There were many times I would drive here on Sunday mornings, pull in the parking lot, and drive away. Eventually, I got brave enough to actually step inside the building just to get to the double doors in the back, look in the sanctuary, and turn around and leave. After living this life for a while, I got tired of it. I got tired of the anxiety and the pride and all the baggage I had been carrying around, and I was tired of riding the fence with my faith. So I began reading the Word. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't just reading the Word for a couple days and then getting bored. I was actually sticking with it. After doing this for a while, I needed more than just reading. I needed fed. So now instead of stopping at the double doors and turning around and going the other way, I found myself entering the doors again and staying for service. I found myself seeking the Lord more and more every day, and a fire and a passion began to ignite inside of me. And I was walking through those doors every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday evening. Next thing I know, I'm involved in different ministries, and I'm even getting to teach and disciple others. Many opportunities have been presented and continue to present themselves all the time for me to witness to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I stand here before you redeemed. I stand here before you born again. I stand here before you set free. I stand here before you a new creation in Christ Jesus. My old life has passed away and all things have been made new. I was dead in my sin and he made these dry bones rattle and come to life again. And he will do the same for you. I was who I was and I praise God that I am who I am today. What the enemy meant for evil, the Lord has turned it around and is using it for something good. Thank you and God bless. nothing more encouraging than a testimony. Amen. Are you enjoying these? Praise the Lord. We should give, you a, give God praise for it because these things are only made possible by what Christ has done in each and every one of our lives. And you too, as a believer, you have a story. And we look forward to someday hearing your story as well. And if you're not a believer, you can have a story by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It'll be the greatest decision you've ever made in your life, and it can happen tonight. Let these testimonies encourage you tonight that there is hope in Jesus Christ. He's turned all of our lives around. All of us who were once were sinners are now redeemed, and you can be too. 
Well, I'm supposed to be up here to take up an offering, so I do that by reminding you that if you have tithes and offerings to give tonight, you can drop them off at the tithe boxes at the back of the room on your way out. Now, I didn't use all of my five minutes, so I will yield my time back to the church. God bless you. Stand with us if you'd like.
Um, my name is Bob Larkins. Um, I guess my, my testimony starts Thursday, December 11th, 2014. Um, the, the, the night before, um, we had family time, and me and my wife and family, we couldn't, we couldn't sleep. We, we had a, like a, 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 almost like a, a, a Holy Spirit moment where everybody was getting along, enjoying themselves. And I remember I, I usually go to bed around 9, 10 o'clock because I have to be up extremely early and I couldn't sleep no matter what I did. And I didn't get to bed till almost 2 or 3 that morning and was up at 5 o'clock almost weightless, almost <clears throat> walking around effortlessly. I mean, I was a police officer, obviously. And when I was walking, uh, I remember walking through the halls and several times I had to check to see if my vest was there and adjust my duty belt to see if it was there because I was just walking on a cloud almost. And um, during that time, it was during the Ferguson and the Michael Brown shooting and uh, you know, the, the TV and the media was just a mess. And so the DAR here in town decided to get a black officer's perspective on the current situation um, that was going on in our nation. And while, it, it, while I was giving that interview to our local paper, uh, my radio fires up and we hear a um, possible stabbing, possible assault. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't leave the interview at that point. I kept talking and then the radio keyed up again and they said, yes, this is a serious, serious um, assault that occurred. And so I left and went to search the area. Um, over, over the course of my searching for the suspect, I spotted who I believed to match the description, um, but he, he, he didn't act how a person who just stabbed someone or attempted to stab someone to death would act. He didn't run, he just glanced at me and kept walking. Um, <clears throat> but the problem is it was a very cold day and he had no, no coat, no nothing to, to battle the weather, essentially. Um, but I kept searching the area, kept searching the area, and I was giving the description uh, the description I was given um, didn't match, but I was finding, we were finding no one matching that description, so I gave the description of the person I saw, and one of the guys at the scene um, said that was him. Uh, I continued looking, um, my, my search led me downtown to uh, Broadway, across from the parking garage. Um, once we entered the building, um, we, we confronted the man in the uh, common hallway of the building. Um, at, at that point, it, it was, it, for, for lack of a better word, at that point it was routine. Um, several times I had tracked down a dangerous person, a dangerous person who was armed. Um, several times I'd been confronted by dangerous men, but usually the, the, your, your training takes over and the person, most of the time, just gives up. Even if they've committed a heinous act, they will give up. But this time was different. He, uh, at first he was scared of me. A at first he, he acted like routine, what really routinely happens. Um, and then during our conversation or during, during our interaction, during our confrontation, um, he, he began charging at me. And I, I, actually, I didn't see any weapons on him at that time, so I was almost in the process of holstering my weapon. And I was just going to tackle him. Um, but as he got almost within range of me to grab hold of him, he ducked off into a room. And the problem was that the room, the hallway we were in was so narrow that there's no way I could have rounded the corner to see in that room safely. 
because if he would have came out of that room at any point in time, he, he'd have been on top of me. So I had to wait. Um, and as we, we started to approach the door, he came out. And that's when I saw the weapon for the first time. Um, but, but once again, that's not the first time I'd been confronted with a weapon. Um, you, you do what you were trained to do. You give clear, um, precise commands. Um, but nothing I did affected him, seemed to affect him at all. He quit responding. Before um, he had the knife, we, it was a discussion. It was a, it was a dialogue. But when he came out, no matter what I said, it just didn't affect him whatsoever. And we continued to back up. It was actually me and another officer there. We, we continued to back down the hallway, giving this man commands and uh, telling him to put down the weapon. <clears throat> the steps we had initially came up, the other officer that was with me retreated down those steps, but I kept retreating down the hallway backwards because there was a door behind me. And if we'd have both went down the steps, he'd have been able to run out the door. We couldn't let him go. Um, but once he got to the top of the steps, he looked at the officer at the bottom of the steps, and he looked up at me. Then he looked at the officer at the bottom of the steps again, and he looked at me. And then he turned his shoulders and started to come to me. And at that point, I had been telling him, you know, everything else had been the, the, the bravado of the officer, put down the weapon, drop the knife, get on the ground. And, and at that point, no matter what I said, I, at, at that point, I've been saying stuff to him and nothing affected him. And at this point, even more so. And so I then, uh, I began pleading with him, please drop the knife. Please don't make me do this. Please stop. But n no matter what I did, nothing affected him. And, and as I continued to back down the hallway, I hear a loud boom behind me. And I stopped for just a second. And as quickly as I could, I turned to see that it was actually another officer was watching what was going on. And it kicked the door in behind me and was coming to help. And when I turned back, before he was bouncing almost like a boxer would before a fight. And when I turned back, he was grinding his feet in. And before I could say another word, he stepped and started coming at me. And I, they say all the time um, in, in your training that everything slows down. For me, it slowed down, but it was, a, it was a little different. Right as he turned to come, I felt the other officer behind me slap me on the shoulder and everything just slowed down. And I never heard a gunshot. Um, I, I watched my shells bounce out of my gun, but I, I never heard a gunshot. And um, when he fell, he fell almost at my feet. And um, out of my peripheral vision, I could see the, the final shell come down. And it was like someone pushed play and everything went back to normal speed. Before that, it was slow motion. Everything that happened, his footsteps, my actions, everything was slow motion. I couldn't hear any sound, but somehow I could hear the subtle crunch of my trigger resetting. And when it was all said and done, there was, there was a, a, a man dead at my feet. I had seen death in every, almost every way imaginable, accidents, homicides, suicides, seeing the young and the very old, but this was different because I did it. And um, I, I guess I, terror is the only word that comes to mind. Um,
because even though my actions were justified, this was a human life that no longer exists. Um, other officers that were there, they, they checked for signs of life, and there were none. We leave the building and get back to the police department, and um, traumatic events do crazy things to your brain. Um, there's large portions of the aftermath that I, I, I just can't remember. Um, I, I remember when we got back to the station, they asked me where did my wife work because they needed to call her to basically come get me because I was unable to drive, and I, I couldn't remember. They asked me where her phone number was. I, I couldn't remember. Um, they even asked me if they would like for me to call my pastor and uh, they, I said yes, and they asked me who my pastor was. I gave them my childhood pastor, the one that I hadn't, I hadn't gone to that church in probably 10 years, 12 years at that point. And, and, but I couldn't remember our pastor's name. I, I, just, I just couldn't. Um, and then that night when I got home, uh, finally got home, my, all, my, all my buddies came. And um, we did what we thought men were supposed to do. We, we, they, they came over and everyone came over with something alcoholic to drink. Um, and that is the worst thing you could possible do, possibly do when you've experienced a trauma like the one I did. Um, but I, that night I started to drink and didn't stop for about four years. I, I felt hurt and betrayed because I thought I was doing what I thought God wanted me to do. Um, when I rested people, I played Christian music. I prayed for people. I led people to the Lord while in handcuffs. I thought I was doing what I was supposed to do. And then something like this comes out of nowhere and totally decletes me, totally knocks me on my butt. And I remember at the time feeling betrayed by God because... I was doing what you asked. I was doing, I was, I thought I was doing your work. Best way I can describe PTSD is that we all experience sadness. We all experience grief. Just imagine knowing, not thinking, but knowing you'll never be happy again. The old things that used to bring you joy and happiness now you almost despise and avoid. It, it's, I, I, and it's confusing to people on the outside because when, when someone is going through PTSD or, or clinical depression, one moment they can be absolutely fine. They can be completely fine and almost a, 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 a gentle breeze can derail them. Um, a lot of prayer for my wife and other loved ones, people at this church, eventually, I guess, helped me come back to church. That was the first miracle because um, I, 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 in about four years, on the low end, we estimated I spent about $9,000 in alcohol in four years. And on the high end, about 11,000. God, if you're real, I'm going to quit drinking. And I haven't had a drop since. The, the, 
problem was is that the depression and the anxiety was still there. Um, I, I continued to come back to church because my thought was nothing else is working. Um, I'm suicidal. I'm, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, God, if you have some plan, you got to save me. You got to, you got to step in because um, this is unlike anything I've ever faced before. This is going to kill me, God. And it's going to be by my hand. All of my, all of my friends, they were saying, if there's anything we can do for you, you just let us know. But how do you, how can someone else help you when the person who hates you is you? I mean, this, this is a bit extreme. I, I, I can't leave my house. I, I uh, in, in all this process, I, I started to, to fail and slack at my job so much that I end up medically retiring from law enforcement. This is, this is restructured, reshaped my life. Everything that you, that I thought you had been laying down in my life, a job that I thought you had given to me, I can no longer perform. God, I, I, I can't even leave my house anymore. I, there, there were weeks, a month, at one point I didn't leave my house. If this is your will, what is this supposed to be teaching me? And I continue to come back to church and I can continue to go through the motions, but nothing is changing. And so one day I'm, I'm in my living room and I'm just furious and I started to scream. I started to yell and nothing I, I said, God, if, if, if you're real, if you're there, you have to do something right now, God. This is the end. I have no more strength left. I have no more stamina left. And I began to scream and yell. I called God a coward because he wouldn't show up. You did this to me. Show up and do something for me. And when nothing happened, I screamed and said, devil, it's your turn. God's a coward. He won't show up. You come do something. And nothing happened. And so I hit my knees and I, I begin to scream. And I heard, in plain as day, I heard a voice say, I'm with you. After I, uh, after I had that experience, I thought things would have, my, my, my thought was things are going to get easier from here. As a matter of fact, the Sunday before that, a, a preacher came, pulled me up on stage and told me it's over. This is over. And I, I, I went home that night and stuck a barrel in my mouth. Um... Because I, I thought that it was going to be instant. I thought that once I said, all right, God, you're in control, that this is going to be over. 
that my, my mental torment was going to end, and it, it, it didn't. If anything, it, it got worse because I, I guess cause my expectations of what was going to happen. God is there even in the dark, and he, he sent me here to tell people that when you do fall, when you are in the dark, that his word is there. He, he, there are scriptures that we are to memorize for different situations in our lives. I, I forgot to say this, but um, in the hallway, after the incident happened, my, I was discussing it with the sergeant. The sergeant's the one that kicked in the door to come to me. And we're replaying the whole thing in our heads. And I say, I was like, Chuck, when you touch my shoulder, man, everything slowed down and I was just able to respond and react and do the things that needed to be done. And he said, Bob, I never got close enough to touch you. He said, Bob, I was trying to shoot with you. I never got close enough to touch you. So, I, I don't know if it was an angel, I don't know what it was, but someone grabbed me by the shoulder when I started shooting. And there was no one around me to do it. After I returned to, uh, after I started coming back to church and returned to it, one day I was at the altar and um, I'm praying and I, I know I've said it a thousand times, but I kept saying, God, if you're, real, if you're there, show me something. But I'm, I'm at the altar and I'm praying, God, I, I, if I meant to go through this, I, it, there has to be, God, I, I want the ability to rain fire like Elijah. God, I, I want the ability to, to call down Holy Ghost fire like Elijah, please. If you're, if you're there, show up here. And my thought was that it was going to be some crazy spiritual move at the altar, but it was a woman came from the crowd, walked up, tapped me on the shoulder and said, God asked, do you want the fire? Man. Whew. Man. Whew. Yeah, that, that's just one of the many moments that I'm expecting a billboard or the heavens to split open. And it was it came God's God's presence or God's message came from somewhere I would have never expected. Prayers in my head. That can't be possible. That can't be chance. When you're in the dark and you do come under attack, you must have these scriptures memorized to know that the Lord is your light and salvation. He is your stronghold. He is your protection. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with you.
I stand here tonight, though, not in who I am, but who Jesus Christ made me. I'm a born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, Savior, Spirit-filled, King's kid. I'm loved, and I'm blessed beyond measure, and that's the spiritual me. In the flesh, you may see a little old lady. I want you to know I would be much slimmer if the Lord had only made me a little bit taller. Uh, I'm the wife of that handsome dude there, Charles Ogilvie, for 55 years over. I'm a mom, and I'm a grandma, and I'm a great-grandma, probably the oldest person that's been on the platform tonight. And... Uh, I'm nearing the end of my earthly journey here. I'm not ready to go any, any day now, but I know <clears throat> we're getting towards the end of the line. And I want to say in my witness that God has been good all the time and all the way for over 50 years. Most of my testimony about Jesus, I want to talk about my journey to him. He was with me all the time from uh, the very beginning until I knelt at the altar and beyond. But I didn't know that uh, until I got saved. My life began before I was born in my grandmother's farmhouse 74 years ago. The Bible tells me that he knew me while I was being formed in my mother's womb he loved me even then, and he planned my journey to the foot of the cross where I was going to meet Jesus. And, uh, and my journey beyond, all the way home. I haven't made it yet, but I'm going to be going home someday. My mom was an unwed mother. That's what they called him in those days. And I was labeled an illegitimate child. There was no one to comfort my mom as she was going through the most difficult time in her life, except for her newfound faith in Jesus Christ. She met Jesus through the ministry of a Messianic Jewish pastor before I was born. According to my aunt, I ruined my mother's life and I was ashamed, not a blessing to her family. No one on this earth rejoiced on the day I was born. Makes you feel kind of bad, because <laughs> I know everybody loves babies, but not me. But just a few months ago, standing right here in this sanctuary, back where we sit, and I was singing songs to Jesus, telling him how much I loved him. And he said to me, just as plain as day, on the day that you were born, I sang over you. Can you imagine? I get, I get chills just thinking about it because nobody else uh, cared. You know, they, I was a premature baby. They put me in a little box and set me behind the wood stove to try to warm me up. And uh, God was singing over me. The name my mom gave me is Gloria. And I never liked it because it's a fancy name and I'm not a fancy person. But Gloria means glory to God. And that is 
the, God's plan for my life. That's my purpose in life, to give God the glory. I started from nothing, literally, but God had a plan for my life. Part of his plan was to give me a father. He chose a man who loved me as his own daughter and told me that he chose to be my father. I was four when my mom met and fell in love with and uh, got married to this man that I'm proud to call my dad. Later, God gave me a brother and a sister to grow up with, and we were a strong family. Mom was the glue that held it all together. But our life was like a roller coaster. It was a series of new beginnings filled with hope and happiness, and we had a lot of bad endings with disappointment and despair. But Jesus was there in the background working his plan. I didn't know it. We didn't know it at the time, but he was working. And I've lost my place. <laughs> uh, we had happy moments uh, that I treasure to this day, but the biggest despair came when our house burned to the ground in my freshman year. We lost everything except our lives. God saw to it that we weren't home that night. And that next morning we got the news. But God was still working his plan. What is strange now as I look at it, it was Easter morning when we got the news. Even though it seemed to be the most awful thing at the time, God was working his plan. And out of the ashes, he was getting ready to do a great thing in our life. In my junior year, we left behind our family and friends and every familiar thing to move from upstate New York to the Chicagoland area. And with each new move, every new beginning, my mom always assured us that the only thing that mattered was that our family was together, that we had each other, but not this time. My brother made secret plans to run away 900 miles, he was a kid, he had no idea, he was never gonna make it. And I have plans to go to sleep and not wake up. When I did wake up, I was being walked around the yard to bring me back to consciousness. We never talked about it. The next morning, they went to work and I went to school. Like nothing ever happened, but God saw, and so did my grandma. She gave me the Bible that she received from her parents. As a person who didn't go to church, I didn't know the Bible, but I knew the 23rd Psalm because our sixth grade teacher in the olden days had, uh, had us memorize it. And so I turned to the 23rd Psalm. The Bible was a stranger. God was a stranger. I knew about a man called Jesus dying on the cross because my mom used to sing the old rugged cross all my life. Even in the happiest times, something was missing and I didn't know it was a person. Before we arrived in Illinois, a year before as a matter of fact, God was working on another part of his plan for me. A young man named Charles was born and raised in Bernie, Missouri. He moved to the Chicagoland area. He got a job where I was gonna come to work after graduation, and he let love do its work in our hearts. We were married and so happy, but something was missing. 
We had a child named Michael. Now would come our happily ever after. But Michael needed surgery in Chicago. Four surgeries, four months, four days later, he died. We were devastated, but God was working his plan because I had to know what happened to Michael the moment his little heart stopped beating. Was death the end of everything? We buried him November 19, 1966. I wondered, was he alone? Was he an angel in heaven? I started looking for answers, and the friendly Jehovah Witnesses came to our house to give me some answers. They said that Michael's soul was asleep in that cold, dark ground in the grave. And I knew I couldn't accept that. I asked God, what purpose did it serve to let Michael live out his short life in pain, in a hospital? He never got to come home. Why? But God had planned Michael's days, too. He came to lead us on our way to salvation. Gosh, I can't read. I loved reading in Isaiah. I am God, and beside me there is none else. He led me to a part in Isaiah over and over again. I am God, and there's none else. I am God. I am God. And he was speaking directly to me. The next year, God gave us a beautiful dark-haired daughter that we could keep. Charles changed jobs, and that was another God thing. We didn't know that. Shortly thereafter, we welcomed another beautiful daughter with blonde hair and she was ours to keep as well. Charles's job changed was a God thing because he met the man who would invite us to his church. I loved that church where we would get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. The church people were so friendly, all formerly from Missouri, Arkansas, and Alabama. It was a southern church in Illinois. Our pastor was from Iowa, and he said that God sent him as a missionary to the hillbillies, something they didn't accept and didn't like. And it wasn't until Charles and I had been married a long time, I realized what he thought a hillbilly was. I'm sorry, hillbillies are highly underestimated. They're wonderful people. Well, these people hugged me, shook my hand, greeted me by name, a lot like this church. In our family, there weren't any hugs, no kisses, no I love you, no you did, you did great. It was uh, totally opposite, and I loved it. We became regulars. I was doing my best to please my Heavenly Father who loved me. <clears throat> I was a good person, a child of God. I was wrong. But now I knew a little more about Jesus. He died on the cross for bad people, sinners, so they could go to heaven. But I wasn't a sinner. One day I was rinsing out dirty cloth diapers. God spoke to me as clearly as an audible voice, and he said, 
All our righteousness is as filthy rags. Wow. Oh, no. I was a sinner. I needed Jesus to forgive my sins. So I prayed the magic words, the sinner's prayer during the altar call. My heart wasn't in this. I was doing a doctrinal thing. This is what I was supposed to do, so that's what I was doing. So I, when they gave the altar call, I prayed the sinner's prayer back at my seat. I was ashamed to go to the altar, so I prayed in my pew. Guess what? Nothing happened. I took it by faith that I was saved, however, and I began to seek the Holy Spirit baptism in secret at home. Something was missing. I came to realize if Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father, then Jesus was what I was missing in my life. He required a total surrender of my life. And then God would be my heavenly father and I would be his child. That night at church, I totally surrendered to him. I ran down the aisle. I was a quiet person, very shy, didn't like to make a spectacle of myself. But I ran down the aisle crying, just making a scene. And you know what? I ran straight into the arms of Jesus. It was like he was standing right there at the foot of the altar. I ran into his arms. I was also filled with the Holy Spirit as I praised the Lord until the tongues came. I was full to running over with love, radically saved, radically changed. The service was over, but I hugged everybody who couldn't get away from me. and There weren't too many there. I was bursting with the good news. I, why did I wait so long? I had to tell everybody about Jesus. Two years later, God gave us another son, and we all cried for joy, including the doctor. God was so good. Life was so good. But that wasn't the end of my journey. It's been 50 years. God had a lot of working to do on me. And he's been doing it for 50 years, and I haven't arrived yet. One of the things that I liked in, in Romans uh, that I read, because I continued my Bible reading, I encourage you to read your Bible, study your Bible, memorize the word, because the Holy Spirit will bring it back when you need it. And the last thing I want to say is don't settle for a faith that doesn't speak to you every day, in every situation. Don't miss what God has planned for your life. Jesus is that friend who sticks closer than a brother, and there's no greater love you'll ever find. I've always said that God sent her to me. She's, and uh, I remember the night that she used to tell me, well, I'm, I'm no sinner. I do this and I do that. But you know the night that Joanna Martin 
gospel singer gave the altar call. She ran, she ran down the aisle. I mean, and surrendered totally. The Holy Ghost hit her, bam! Down on the floor she went cold out. I mean, the spirit was moving. And you know, it, I know pastor was preaching today, you know, about just telling them to come to church, you know. But pastor, they was a guy that witnessed to me and talked to me at work when I changed through that other job for six months. And he always had asked me, you gonna come to church tomorrow? And I'd say, maybe. I'd always say, maybe. Well, one night he went and called up Saturday night and he said, you gonna come tonight, tomorrow? And I said, maybe. And, and the wife went and said, who was that? I said, well, that was a guy that was been talking to me about coming to church. She said, why don't we just get ready and go? And you know, we went. Scared the daylights out of glory because she'd never had been in any Pentecostal church. You know, where they got their hands up and praising the Lord and everything. And I was a back, uh, I was a backslider. I got saved when I was 16. Kneeling down in the altar and I used the scriptures, said, Asking ye shall receive, seeking ye shall find, knocking the door shall be open to you. And the power of God hit me. My knees were coming up off the floor. 16 years old, knees coming up off the floor about two foot high. One go up and the other go down. And I mean, and then after a while, I backslid. I backslid and started in singing gospel, uh, so, uh, uh, rock and roll music. Rock and roll music. And I'd be in the, I'd be in the taverns and stuff like that, and they'd, oh, you want a beer? And I'd say, no. They say, well, what are you doing in here then? I like singing. They said, you don't want this? Well, the other young men that I was with, they took it. They, they took it. And they wanted them to become an alcoholic. One was, our drummer was on dope. Uh, the other, other guy, but out of, then I was in another group, out of that, Three of us got saved. Three of us got saved later on. But God was always with us. I believe he had his hand upon me all the time. I grew up rough. I grew up, my mom and dad got a divorce when I was three years old. Dad raised five of us. We didn't know where the next meal was coming from. I remember picking in cotton. Picking cotton, started five years old and bought my own clothes. I didn't get any clothes. If I didn't get out and pick cotton, I didn't have any fine clothes to go to school. I wore my dirty, dirty, dirty clothes and thought they were clean. We didn't know where the next meal was coming, but God knew. God raised us. He kept his hand upon us. And tonight I'm going to try and sing a song. When I got saved, I started in singing music. Uh, the young woman asked me to sing a song in church. And I sat right there, and I'd sing. She put me on Sunday night, and I'd sing knowing I wasn't saved. Like I said, I sat there a whole year, sat there a whole year, and the, the minister gave the altar call, and then I went, gave my heart and life over 
turn my heart and life over to Jesus Christ. So I'll, I'm going to sing you a song tonight, Sweet Beauty of the Land.
How's everybody doing tonight? I am Keith Brogy. I've been coming to Palace of Praise for about a year and six months, and I am a member here. But I'm going to take you back a year and six months ago before I ever started coming to Palace. I was a seven-day-a-week alcoholic, a sinner. I didn't believe in Jesus whatsoever. And um, when I was 25 years old, I got my first DWI. And I told myself when I was sitting in jail for 24 hours, I will not drink again. And about six months went down the road. I got my license back and stuff. I started drinking. Several years later, went by. I had this anger, depression, everything, you know, dealing with women. Just when I touched my life was just messed up. And I started drinking seven days a week because it made me feel better. And the alcohol was so easy to get to. So then I just kept on doing it. My daughter had to witness it. You know, and I had my grandbabies had to witness it too. And um, I didn't listen to nobody. People said, you might have a problem. I said, no, I don't got no problem. I'm still working. I got a job. I'm paying my bills. I'm good. But the truth is, I had to borrow money from every, every loan company here in Poplar Bluff, probably. And um, I just thought that the way that's, that's, that's my life, and that's the way my life's going to be. I am going to die by the, by the alcohol. I mean, I, there is no hope left for me. I mean, I'm done. I, I just got worse and worse. Then one day, you know, I got a buddy I've been working with at my job for about 20 years. I've been at my job at Shallow Harwood. I'm, I'm going to say his name. He's not here tonight. James Larson. He kept on bugging me. I mean, I was, I was stubborn. I said, well, maybe, maybe. I was a maybe guy, you know. And he's like, man, you just need to come and see how it is and stuff like that. So I went to all the real man rallies and everything. But I, was, I never came in here because sometimes I came in here, I see grown men hugging. And it, and it, and it scared me. It, it scared me. I, was, I told James, why are they raising their hand? Do they got a question or something? Do they got to ask the pastor a question? Why are they raising their hand like that? So everything scared me. So I forgot about it. So one day, I was at home drinking and just messing around with, with my phone and stuff. I accidentally called James. Um, oh, I don't remember. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real. I don't remember what I said to him, but it was on an answering machine. He was at church. It was on a Wednesday night. And um, I don't remember what I said to him. And um, he come running over. I mean, he came running over. I mean, he barged in my door, and I was, I was in the kitchen. I kind of, like, freaking out a little bit. I said, he says, hey, man, why'd you call me? Wait me? Are you going to do something to yourself? I said, I said, no. He said, you need to straighten your life up right now. I said, you know, they get this guy off my back. He offered to take me somewhere on Thursday night. I said, so I'm going to get this guy off my back, you know. I'm not, I know it's not going to work for me. I know I'm going to go back to alcohol. I, I know I'm not because... You know, my whole family, you know, once we had addiction on our, you know, we're all addicted, you know, especially the ones in California. We grew up with the alcohol in our lives. And the problem was I never liked, like, beer. I liked the hard liquor, you know. We're talking about Jaeger, Fireball, and anything else, you could, and Crown, you know. But um, James came over, and um, he just told me, well, you need to try it out. So I did. I went to the Real Man Ministry on Thursday night. And the truth is I liked everybody there. I liked Anthony over here. He's sitting there smiling at me right now. But I liked him over there and everything else. And um, the truth is, I was still thinking about going, you know, I said, man, this ain't doing it for me. So James says, well, we, um, Dan King was at the um, Thursday night meeting. He says, my wife has a Monday night meeting called Christway Recovery. You need to meet Cassie, my, his wife. At the time, I didn't know her name was Cassie. So when I first met Cassie, we went up, James even went up there to me on Monday night. When I first met Cassie, she's a, a short little girl. I mean, I, I seen something in Cassie. I mean, she had to. And, she's, and, um, and she goes, who are you? I said, I'm Keith. I'm just going to come out and try out your class. So after, you know, I, tried, I liked her class and everything. But at the end of the class, she says, you want to stick around? We'll talk. I said, okay, we'll talk. So we talked for a few minutes. And, um, and next thing you know, she said, I told her that I will come to your meetings. I would do all these meetings, but I will never step foot in church. She says, that's fine. 
just come to my meetings. So a few weeks, you know, a few weeks had passed. I went to the meetings. I went to the real man meeting over there with Anthony and stuff. And the real man rally came along. And I was, you know, I, I had fun all that day. And I liked everybody here. And I knew something was changing inside of me that moment. But I was scared. I said, you know what, I just need to go have fun and, and leave and go and, 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 just, and just go, you know. But something, something in my heart wouldn't let me at all. So in 2019 at the Real Man Rally, I was 43 years old. They're up here talking, and they're talking about being safe. I was sitting in the back there, and um, when he was talking about the table, the Last Supper, and all that, I come up here, and I wanted to be saved. I was delivered right here in 2019 at the Real Man Rally at 43 years old, and my chains were broken, and I was set free. Now, it was a, it was a struggle and everything, but... But you know what? He told me, you know, follow me, do the things, and you'll be delivered from alcohol. I mean, it don't mean addiction was still there. It was, but I was fighting for something, and I was fighting for Jesus that night, and I was saved, and I delivered. I didn't care what anybody thought about me, and I sat in the back for a while there. Then finally, I came up to the front here, and I sit in that third row right there, and I didn't care what anybody thought of me because I'm chasing Jesus, and that's it. I'm a new man, a new man in creation. My past is gone. And that's all I pretty much got. got. And uh, I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you're, if you're not saved, you, know, you don't think it, it, he don't love you and you can't, be, you can't be saved, that's all lies. That's the enemy. That's the enemy th thinking in your head that this is how he wants you to go. Because he's, when he loses you, he fights harder to get in your mind, and you can't let that. You just got to get in the word every day, and you got to ignore all this nonsense, all this news, and you just got to go for it. Thank you very much. ago um, to write music and I was scared and I didn't really know how to play anything um, um, I just I didn't like being in front of people um, but here I am <laughs> so uh, this is a song I wrote it's a really recent one um, it is called battle scars I feel like it goes a lot with the stories and the testimonies that I've heard tonight and I just pray that it brings blessings into your life. This battle is raging on a war that cannot be won. The nightmares, they come and they go. They sleep this night. 
I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, my name is Mara, and I started attending the Palace of Praise about a year ago. I've always grown up in church, been a believer, um, and my testimony has to do with my wonderful and beautiful family, um, but it started when I was in high school. Um, I had a lot of woman problems, and my mom decided, you know, hey, we're going to take you to a specialist. So I went to a specialist and she sat me down after we got all the paperwork and did all the stuff they were supposed to do. And she said, wow, well, you are off, um, but I think we can fix it. Um, she told me then that, you know, it'd be a one in a million chance for me to get pregnant. And I thought, well, okay, which at the time I wasn't thinking about having babies. I was like, all right. Um, but she said, you know, I think we can start working on this now. You know, that, that way, when you do finally find the one that you want to be with, you can have children where your likelihood, you know, be more likely. And I said, okay. Um, and so we did. Um, I started on hormone replacement therapy. Um, and, and then fast forward a few years, and I was in college. I was at Three Rivers. Um, I was on the Baptist Student Union, and I did women's ministry there and sang a little bit, and um, it was at a Kiss the Goat contest that I met my husband. Um, he brought the goat. <laughs> uh, he's back there. Um, but <laughs> uh, I met him, fell in love, and, you know, fast forward a little bit more, we got married. Uh, he knew, you know, when we got married that it would kind of be a one in a million chance for me to have kids and knew what I was doing to try to help fix it. Uh, we were both adopted, so we, we knew in our lives, you know, we thought, well, you know, that could always be in God's plan also. Um, 
but it wasn't until I was married for a little bit that it hit me. You know, the reality came crashing down. Like, here's this man that I love so much, and I, I want to have a baby with him. And, you know, God, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I do that? You know, what, what's wrong with my body? And it, it hit me so hard, and I, you know, a lot of angry moments, a lot of crying moments with God. And anyway, I'd been back and forth to the doctor. I went on a routine appointment, went in. Um, I'd missed two months. That wasn't unusual for me. She kind of sat down. She's like, okay, you know, next time you come in, we'll redo your blood work. We'll see how things are going. And I left that appointment, and I was going to pay the receptionist. And she had had a new nurse, and she said, hey, Mara, would you mind just us doing a pregnancy test on you? I'm just trying to show her the procedures and, and how to go through things and how, you know, our office handles this. And I said, okay. So I went in and did my business and went out and was headed out to my car, and she comes running out in the parking lot, and she stops me. She goes, Mara, Mara, I need you to come back in here. And I'm like, all right, okay. And so I come back in. I'm thinking, well, did I forget to pay for something? I thought I paid the lady. You know, what's going on? And um, so I went back in, and she's like, no, I, I need you to come back into the office. And then I'm like, huh? I was really confused and really lost. And so she brings me back into the office, and she says, Mara, I've got some news for you. She said, you're pregnant. And I was like, what? <laughs> And I just, I broke down, and I was just so overwhelmed to know that God had answered my prayer. And I went out to my car, and my mom was waiting for me, and, and I was really quiet, and she was, she was kind of like, well, are you okay? And I'm like, well, Mom, I'm, I'm pregnant. So then I got to share that with her, and um, I called my husband and my dad, and it was just such a time of joy and we were so so blessed to be able to have a baby but you know God's bigger than that <laughs> he likes to go above and beyond our expectations so um, down the road I about a year 18 months later I had my son Russell so that's two kids um, and then about a few years later I had Adeline three kids and then 13 months later, I had Gwendolyn, four kids. <laughs> so um, God definitely blessed me beyond what, what I could have thought that he could have done. You know, I was expecting one child, and I, I've got four wonderful blessings. And I guess all I have to say to you is just to keep praying and, and keep the faith. You know, I know there's a lot of mamas struggling um, to have babies, but God hears you, and, and he will bless you at the right time and at the right moment. These have been pretty awesome, haven't they? Very encouraging. Um, for those that don't know me, I'm Janet Thomas. Um, I've been coming here for a little while since uh, uh, May, I think. My husband and I um, 
started coming after he retired from ministry. And I just want to share a little bit about my story. Um, I have been a Christian for 47 years, and it's because my husband has led me to the Lord. And I love sharing this story because I didn't realize that uh, God loved me enough to send somebody to me. And I always looked at it as, you know, I must be God's favorite because, you know, for him to send someone out of the blue to uh, witness to me in front of my boyfriend, I thought took a lot of nerve. <laughs> And um, I, re I got a little slack from my boyfriend because he didn't want me to go. But it was, so, it was just so interesting to see how God had planted David into uh, my life. And so my spiritual journey actually began on a certain page that I like to call page 6,225. And the reason why I call it that page is because that's the page that God really reached down and showed me how much he loved and cared for me. Um, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't know a lot about God. My mom, um, she didn't take us to church. We traveled a lot around when I was a child. But when I was a teenager, I got involved in some things that were not very good, and um, I was kind of one of those uncontrollable uh, teenagers. However, God still had a plan for my life. And uh, little did David know, which his testimony is pretty awesome too, God was dealing with him um, one time when he lived in Michigan and told him to... Uh, started dealing with him and, and anyway he said I'm going to go home I'm going to cut my hair back then he had really long hair which I thought I really liked it but he had really he was we were we were hippies okay back in the day <laughs> and he said I'm going to go home I'm going to cut my hair I'm going to uh, find me a woman and I'm going to get married I'm going to get saved and I'm going to get married now that was his goal and he had it he just had it just all planned out but it was different for me. I never thought that I would ever get married or have a family. I never realized that God loved me enough that there was somebody out there that cared for me. And I remember I, I didn't know anything about God, and I remember having these dreams. And God would give me this, these dreams, and I didn't know where they were coming from. And I had several and a series of them about the same time that God was dealing with David. Around the same time God was dealing with David, David was coming here, getting himself all ready for me, which I believe is scripture, because the Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. I just want you to know that is Bible scripture. It's in Proverbs for all you who don't know that. So David found a good thing, and now he has favor of God. And so <laughs> it's really wonderful. You know, I'm so glad I, I was able to provide that for him. But, you know, God is so good. And I was having all these dreams, and one one night I had a dream that really shook my world, and I dreamed that the that everybody just disappeared in this whole this dream. And at that time I was I was just I had I was 16. No, I had just turned 17, and I woke up. But anyway, in that dream, I dreamed that everybody had left, and I was all by myself. And all of a sudden, Jesus came out of the cloud, and he said, "Janet, don't cry." He said, "I will never leave you." And I didn't even know that was even scripture. I didn't even know. It kind of scared me. I woke up and I thought, well, that was, that was, that was different, you know. And, and, and I just kept going on. And then I had a series of other dreams. And within that two-week period, the time that allowed David to get time and realize God was going to set us up, I'm going down the street, down Main Street with my boyfriend. And he pulls over. 
his little Mustang he had. He had a little Mustang, a little blue one, and I had like 66, 60 Mustang. I thought, ooh. And he pulls over, and I thought, ooh, he, he's cute, you know. <laughs> and he, he starts talking to us about God. And I'm thinking, wow, that's different, you know. And I wanted to listen, but I'm not sure if I had the right motive, but I wanted to listen. And I listened, and he invited us to church. And I remember him saying, you know, uh, oh, he had this wonderful smile on his face, and you could see the glory of God all over him, and I didn't even know what I was even looking at. And he invited us to church, and, and um, I said, okay, I'm going to go. Well, then my boyfriend didn't want me to go, and that's another story. And I thought, well, I am going now because you told me I can't, so that's another story. And so God said, you're going to go. And so I got ready, and I got prepared to go to church, and David come to pick me up, and I'm, I got scared. Because I, I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I'm going to go to this church. And so he takes me to this little Pentecost church where there's three fired up Pentecost women preaching. I mean, it was scary. And so I sit in that pew there between him and another guy. I was like squeezed in there. I couldn't have got out of there if, the, if I wanted to. And I just, I don't know what them ladies were preaching, but they was all over that, that thing. And everybody's amen and praying. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And the power of God, just, I could just feel something was different. And she gave an altar call. One of them gave the altar call. And I remember going up and giving my life to God. And I had such a release. I could just tell that I had changed. There, no one had to tell me. I knew it immediately. It was an immediate change in my life. And so that evening, we go to, uh, to get something to drink, me and David and that other guy and next thing I know David's telling people we're going to get married and we were going to see his grandpa and he told his mom hey mom me and Dan's getting married I'm like we are okay cool <laughs> awesome <laughs> so you know so we got we got married and you know we've been together for 46 years so apparently it worked out yeah it worked out and God began to call us in the ministry and I didn't even know, you know, what I could do in the ministry. You know, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, believe it or not, I didn't like to get up and talk in front of people. I'm like, oh, do you have to talk? <laughs> you know, and David didn't hardly talk much then either. And when he told me he was called to preach, I'm thinking, don't you have to talk to preach? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do here, but hopefully it's going to work out. But God called us in the ministry. And so for over 30 years, we've been working for God. You know, I've been in every, I mean, I've taught everything he's taught Everyone, we've tried to just help people because my heart has been, you know, God, I just want to do what you want me to do because you had taken away so much from me, this, this pain and hurt and everything I had, and you just given me a life I never thought I would be able to have. And you sent someone into my life that loved me. That's important because when you don't think anybody loves you, it's so important to know that God does love you. And later on, I found out that there were a couple people uh, that I went to school with, that God was laying me on their heart, and they were praying for me, and I didn't even know it. So even behind the scenes, God was setting me up. He was setting me and David up. And so I wanted to have family right away. I always wanted to have a, a children. I always wanted to have two boys and two girls. I don't know why, but that's what I always wanted to have. But I ended up having two girls and a, and a son. And they all worked in ministry. They all served the Lord in our church. God was just using us. Everything was just awesome. You ever been there? It's just awesome. I mean, like, what else? What else? And then all of a sudden, I get fast forward to page 16,000. 
0-6-0. And that was the day that my son passed away. He was 34, and he left a wife and three children. And it was a shock to us, to me, because we were praying for him. He was having some problems, and we were praying for him. And the night, the day that he had passed away, I was at his house, and I, I mean, at my daughter's house because he was actually at my daughter's house, and he passed away on her couch. And I remember praying for him, and David was preaching, and I called, had called the church, and I said, Richard has passed away, and and he dropped the you know, the mic and said, pray. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And I remember standing over Richard and praying for him because God had promised me. See, he said, I will never leave you, forsake you. And I thought, God, you promised me. He's my promised seed. I can't believe this is happening, you know. And it was a shock for all of us, our family, because we thought, boy, we're living right. We're doing right. God is moving. Everything is good. God set us up. He's got a plan. This doesn't fit in the plan. <laughs> this doesn't fit in the plan anywhere. But for some reason, you know, it, it, it was in the plan. And the the thing I wanted to say about this is that, God showed me how much he loved me, even though Richard passed away. Because God told me one day, going home, when I was going home, and I was crying, and I was saying, my son, and God said, Janet, Richard is my son, too. I come out of Walmart one day, and I ran to the car because God said, this is what Richard's name means. He's resting in his colossal home in awe of his revealed destiny. And so God was speaking to me at Walmart of all places. And I'm going to end with this little page that a couple weeks after Richard had passed away, and I had turned another page in my life, I was at Walmart shopping, and I kept noticing this young man. It looked like he was following me. And I'm thinking, am I just getting old and paranoid? I mean, why would somebody follow me? Well, following you at Walmart's creepy, you know. And so, <laughs> and he was a big fella. Had tattoos all over him. Had long hair. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. And I just, everywhere I go, it seemed like there he was. So when I checked out at the, the uh, as I was checking out, he actually approached me. And he came up to me. And he said, are you Richard's mother? And I said, yes. He said, well, I'm so and so and so. And he said, I was at Richard's visitation. I wanted to talk to you and tell you how your son led me to the Lord. And Richard and his friend had a radio program where they played Christian rock, which I didn't even know there was such a thing, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> and this man picked up the phone because he wanted him to play a special music because he didn't know it was Christian music. I guess that's, but, but God used it. And Richard answered the phone and led that man to the Lord. And that man seen me at Walmart and wanted to tell me, he said, God told me to tell you this story because he wants you to know that he loves you. And that your son had purpose in his life, and, and, and it doesn't matter, you know, God is still good. And so, you know, in my story, I see, God, you're so good to me. You made all these promises to me, and you've kept them. And I was reading in Psalms 121, and talks so much about how God watches over our life. He says, I watch over you. I watch your comings and your goings. I see everything that you do, Janet, and I love you, and I have everything under control. So now, in my journey with him, my son is not here, but he has three children. And I pray, and, and I, I speak life over them, and I just want God to be in their life so much, you know, and see all the goodness that God has done in their life. And when I began to pray for them, God gave me, I, I like to write poems, and so I'm going to end with this. 
but God gave me a poem to give to them. Because when Richard had passed away, one of the things that I kept thinking was, God, the dreams that we have for, for our life and for our son, they're not there anymore. We don't have these dreams. You know, we, you know, we all have dreams. We all have visions. We all have things that we, and goals that we want, and so does God. And so I called, told my grandchildren, I said, God, give me this poem for you. And then as I read it, God began to speak to me. He said, Dan, it is for you as well. And it's called A Time to Dream Your Father's Dreams. And it says, there's a time for everything so life can unfold into the beauty of a plan and the mystery it holds. A time to reach for the heavens and a time you'll want to let go. A time to silence a broken heart and a time to be bold. There's a time to follow the horizon no matter how long it seems. And a time to go to distance and a time to live your dreams. There's a time to step on the mountain and there's a time to rest below. To be still when life is moving and to move when faith says to go. There's a time to question the answer and a time to simply believe. Even when you don't understand, there's a time when you will see. So in your quest for adventure, remember this wonderful thing. That your father said you could move mountains and stand among the kings. So laugh and learn and keep on living and in your endeavor you will see. Remember, there's a time for everything and a time to dream your father's dreams. And that's what we are doing. We're dreaming, and we're still moving, and God's going to use our family our time to do what he wants us to do in these last days. He's good to me, and he'll be good to you because that's his promise, and that's a page of my story. <laughs> Oh, saints, do you feel like I do? I feel like I have been in the halls of heaven and listening to the wonderful words of God's faithfulness to his children. My heart feels so full tonight. Let's just praise him for a minute. I know it's late. I know there's Hallmark movies, but it's okay. This is far more richer hallelujah to your name we love you lord i love you lord mm, hallelujah hallelujah oh praise the lord thank you thank you everyone that has shared their testimonies and their and their stories with us let's give them one more hand clap it's not easy but it's beautiful. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to go into worship just for a few minutes. But I know that there's people that's sitting here. And I know there's people that's not in here tonight that are going through their trial. And it won't be long that they'll be standing here giving their testimony. But they need our prayer tonight. And if you have someone on your heart that you know that's going through a trial that's going through a struggle, I want you to stand where you're at. I want you to just stand up. You know that they're going through a struggle. We're going to pray for one another. I'd like for someone to stand for Roxanne Carson, Greg Calhoun, and Lane Reasons. And I know there's so many. 
I want you to look around and see. You all are beautiful that is standing because you are burdened and you are taking these people to the Lord in prayer tonight. And it is going to make a difference. How many believe that? This is going to make a difference and we will hear their testimonies. And I'm going to have Pastor Miller to pray over us. And you reach your hand out to others. If you're sitting there, you reach your hand out and you pray and then believe that God is going to move in these situations. Go ahead, Pastor Miller. Father, right now as everybody stood, that signifies that there's somebody that they know that's going through a trial, going through a test, going through some hard times. And Lord, we have heard about all of your faithfulness. And not only have we heard about your faithfulness, Father, we've experienced it firsthand. I am somebody that can testify that through it all, you've always been with me. You've never left me. You've never forsaken me. And Father, right now we pray that your mighty presence will be with every situation that is represented by someone standing in the gap for their loved one, for their friend, for their neighbor, whoever they may be standing in for. We pray that your supernatural power right now will reach down into their lives and bring healing and hope and, and God bring, bring encouragement, bring strength, whatever, Father, the needs may be because I know that there'll be a variety of needs here, God. And let everyone that we pray for tonight come out through the trial with a testimony. Father, I pray your blessings upon them. I pray the intervention of God, the supernatural power of God to minister to every heart, to every life. And again, we'll hear in the near future in services just like this that they will stand up here on this platform and they will give their testimony about your faithfulness, your love, and your greatness, God. And Father, we give you the praise and we give you the honor and we give you the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we give you praise. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. John Gerald. I want names and numbers. I'm going to go get that basketball team. My mama and me, when I rose up, I was like, I'm going to whoop them. Whoever did you that way made me so mad. <laughs> Woo. Now, John weighed 103 and was six foot three. <laughs> you think what happened? He joined the staff at the Palace of Praise. <laughs> and we believe you got to be fat and flourishing to remain here. Amen. And one of the things I want to say to everybody to encourage you here tonight. Those of you that are young and you're looking for a spouse and it's nothing seems to fit, go steal one like David did. <laughs> Amen? Go take someone away from a boyfriend. Oh, uh, That is the most hilarious story I've ever heard in my life. What a God we serve. How, how awesome God is. When you look at the uniqueness of God, just look at his creation and sometimes you can think, God, you are so humorous. Have you ever just looked at a zebra? That's, that, that's something, isn't it? God is so humorous, and I cried tonight. I sit over there, and I laughed tonight. I have enjoyed the presence of God. Have yes, you? amen. Praise the Lord. I don't know what else is on the agenda. I think we're closing out. We're going to go to the Lord and worship. Just take this moment to just be in his presence and just celebrate, celebrate what he has done. And when the song is over, you can be dismissed. Yeah, so this song is called Redeemed. I know uh, this is special, another special song to me. This is the first song I did here at the palace. So first new song that we did at the palace. And, and this is just perfect for tonight because we, 
this is everyone's story. This, this song is everyone's story that knows Jesus. And I just, just worship tonight, if you can. Oh, 
give him praise on your regime tonight. Hallelujah.